Welcome back to the Ear It Out Podcast. I am Lucas Shu. Today we don't have any guests on. It's just me rambling into the emptiness of space. But we're going to talk about teams who are doing it right, teams who are doing it wrong in terms of team building. Now when you hear this, I'm sure you'll probably think uh, team building as in teams are just dominating. Teams are winning right now. Uh, former teams like the Patriots, uh, Chiefs. as Chiefs are one building right. But I'm just talking about teams who are building the right way. So this is going to include your rebuilding teams. This is going to include your teams who are in the middle. And this probably include your Super Bowl teams. And we're talking about teams who are doing it wrong, who are building incorrectly, who are trying to rebuild incorrectly, who are trying to keep the contention in doing it incorrectly. We're just going to dive right into it. And the first team we're going to talk about right away, we're going to talk about two teams who I like but I'm not in love with in terms of team building, but who I think are doing it the correct way. Maybe not perfectly, but who are doing it correctly, I think. And it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Cleveland Browns. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we're going to talk about initially, and they were in a weird situation heading into this year because they had Jameis Winston, who went 30 for 30 in touchdowns and interceptions this past year, but he wasn't the guy most people thought. He, people thought he was the right guy. He wasn't the guy to build around. He wasn't the guy you can succeed with because of his high interception and high turnover uh, ratio. But he had the ability to be that guy you want to build with because of his cannon for an arm, because of his occasional laser accuracy and plays that really not a lot of guys can make besides a couple guys in the NFL. Ultimately, the Buccaneers decided to move on from Jameis Winston and let him go. And in turn, they got one of the best quarterbacks of all time and Tom Brady. Now, the big difference here in Tom Brady in New England and Tom Brady in Tampa Bay is their weapons. Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, as of recent, this isn't as all-time because Tom Brady has had a lot of weapons in New England, excuse me. As of recent, Tom Brady did not have a lot of weapons to work with. He had Julian Edelman. Uh, That's it, really. I mean, Benjamin Watson, if you count that. But outside of those two guys, you don't have a lot to work with. He had Julian Edelman, Benjamin Watson, who were solid guys. But then he had, like, Dekeel Harry. Uh, he had Antonio Brown for a game. It, it was just a brutal situation there in New England, and they just barely made it to the playoffs and then got knocked out. But with Tampa Bay, you gave something completely, completely different for Tom Brady, at least. You still get your good offensive head coach, the Bruce Arians, but you also still get a lot of good players on the offense in terms of, like, O.J. Howard still there. I know Bruce Arians doesn't use a lot of uh, tight end uh, sets or heavy tight end sets, but you still got O.J. Howard who's solid, Cameron Bray who is solid. But then you got two monster receivers, arguably two of the best receivers in the NFL in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Mike Evans is a physical freak of nature. He's six foot four, maybe, very tall, very athletic, can outmuscle you at the catch point, can outmuscle you in general, and is a go up and get it kind of guy. I think a guy that Tom Brady's going to really like to have because of his physical freak of nature, and he's going to be kind of a guy you can just throw it to if nothing's there and hope Mike Evans can get it, which Mike Evans should be able to get it unless he's facing a top-tier cornerback who's able to contest with him. Then you got Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin absolutely exploded last year. He probably was the best, if not one of the best, 
this year in the NFL last period. Incredible yards, incredible production, and he just killed it at every single level of the field. Intermediate, short, deep. He did it all. And it's a guy Tom Brady's going to really love because he's a do-it-all kind of guy. But then in the draft, there was still needs for the Buccaneers. They still needed help on defense in terms of uh, defensive backs and safety especially. They still needed help on their offensive line in terms of like a tackle they need to protect Tom Brady. And they still need some receiver help because they didn't have that slot guy Tom Brady loves. Because Tom Brady always has that one slot receiver in the NFL. He had Julian Edelman for a long time. He had Wes Welker for a long time. He had a guy who he knows can win in intermediate and short routes. He's a really good route runner and separates from the slot. He's always had that for every, pretty much every year of his career. And when he had that guy, it helped him so much because it's a guy he can just throw it to, get like eight yards out of him, and he knows he's going to be there because he always separates. And what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did is exactly that. They got Tristan Wirfs, the Iowa offensive tackle, freak of nature offensive tackle to help Tom Brady, who was one of the top five offensive tackles in this entire draft class and who was easily a first-round pick. Easily a top 15 pick, if not top 10, and Steve Kime, excuse me, okay, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to get him at their 15th pick. Now, there's room the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did end up trading up for him, which I would not have done just because the analytics and the value there isn't there, but they did end up only moving up one spot, which it's not as bad. I wouldn't have moved up for that much, but you don't do that with that unless it's a quarterback. You don't trade up unless it's a quarterback, but at least they got their guy. They got a guy who can protect Tom Brady and will protect Tom Brady for the future years. Then in the next round, they got Antoine Winfield. Antoine Winfield is probably one of the better safeties in this class. He was like a second round value to me, and he kind of got overshadowed, maybe not overshadowed per se, but he kind of got overshadowed almost by guys like uh, Grant Delpit, by Freaks of Nature like uh, Isaiah Simmons, Xavier McKinney, out in uh, Bama. I know Isaiah Simmons to play safety, but he's just a freak of nature kind of guy. And uh, Gary McKinney from Bama. But Antoine Winfield is still a quality player. He's a quality, strong safety who will really, really help this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And then you got Keyshawn Vaughn. You got Joe Russell later on. You got Raymond Calais later on, who's an explosive running back. But my favorite pick of all of these, especially, especially from a value standpoint, is Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson is a very interesting player in the scouting community from what I've heard. I was watching the PFF uh, draft uh, live draft recap of when they're doing it live during the NFL draft, and Austin Gale, one of the PFF analysts, was saying how some scout said to him, or he overheard somebody say to him, the scout said, Tyler Johnson is the easiest evaluation in the NFL draft. He's, and then the scout apparently said, he's going to be a special teams guy, at best. And when I hear that, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why? Why does this scout think that? Because when I watched Tyler Johnson, I think and see a guy who can separate, which to me is the most important thing you can do. Can you separate downfield? Can you separate uh, intermediate? Can you separate short? I don't care how you do it. If you can do that and do it at a high level, that is huge to me. And that is exactly what Tyler Johnson does. He's not going to be your speed demon kind of guy. He's not going to blow by you. But what he will succeed at is winning at intermediate levels and short levels. He's an excellent route runner, especially from the slot. 
and it would be more perfect for the Buccaneers, is that Tom Brady, like I previously said, uh, loves slot receivers. Loves, loves, loves his slot receivers. You had to talk about Julian Edelman. We talked about Wes Walker. And Tyler Johnson can be that for Tom Brady. You can slip Tyler Johnson in the slot. You can even work him outside because of his incredible release ability. But you can put him in the slot. You can tell him that he can have him win those short routes, those intermediate routes that Tom Brady loves. And Tom Brady's going to fall in love with this guy. I really can see him falling in love with him because of his skilled route running ability and his nuance from the route tree and his hard breaks out of his routes. He's going to love Tyler Johnson. Now, I'm not completely in love with the Buccaneers just yet, only because this is their first year of like just drafting really good and getting a good free agent uh, move in Tom Brady. So I'm not going to say, oh my God, Buccaneers are the best team rebuilding-wise in the NFL because I don't believe that. But what I will say is they are definitely moving in the right direction. They are doing things that NFL teams should do and should do to build. One thing I problem I had was a uh, trade-up, but... I'm not going to kill them for that because it's only one thing. But if they keep doing this, they can be one of the best teams in the NFL for the future. And whoever takes over for Tom Brady, obviously he's getting older, so he's going to retire sooner than later. Whoever does take over for Tom Brady in the future is going to have a lot of offense to work with and a good team around them to work with. Next up, we have the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland's a weird team in the fact that they had a lot of weapons last year, and they were a team who everybody had was going to just dominate the NFL. They were an offensive, they had offensive weapons up to Wazoo. They had uh, guys like Odell or Jarvis Landry, uh, Nick Chubb at running back. Just everybody you could imagine. David Njoku at tight end. Anybody you could imagine they had. And they had Baker Mayfield, who came off of an incredible rookie year and just lit up the NFL. But... Last year, it was really weird for the Browns. They sputtered. They weren't good on offense. Their defense struggled, kind of. And their offense just overall wasn't bad, even though even though they had weapons. They had weapons for Baker to work with. And even though Baker had an incredible year, his sophomore season was just ugly. And the main thing that really showed and popped out from this Browns team this past year was that offensive line. That offensive line was atrocious. Baker was under pressure constantly. Baker was bad in the pocket in general. Anything got under pressure, he just it looked, got ugly because he held on the ball too long. He got hit, uh, just making bad poor decisions. His footwork got a little off. But it was just an ugly situation for the Browns. So the Browns did was they fired Freddie Kitchens and, uh, Got Kevin Stefanski in there from the Minnesota Vikings, former offensive coordinator, and they drafted really well, I thought. I talked about this in the NFC uh, draft review uh, last week, I believe it was, with Paul Duncan. Go follow Paul at, uh, at the football. But we talked about this because he's a huge Browns fan. AFC draft review, excuse me. We talked about this because he's a huge Browns fan. Uh, the Browns went out and they went to go get help for Baker Mayfield, essentially. They got Jack Conklin and right to play right tackle for them, which is a, an incredible move, a great move for the Browns. He's a quality right tackle, and I think that's going to be a load off Baker Mayfield's shoulders, literally and figuratively. But uh, the Browns didn't just stop there. They got Austin Hooper, who I think they overpaid for, 
but I get the fit there. I get why they targeted Austin Hooper because of Kevin Stefanski and his heavy, heavy usage of tight ends. So I get it. I wouldn't have paid him that much because I don't think he's that high quality of a tight end personally. But I get the move for Kevin Stefanski in the Kevin Stefanski offense. But in the draft, they killed it. They absolutely killed it, I thought. You got guys like uh, Jedrick Wills, who is a right tackle, like Jack Conklin. But I believe they're probably going to move over to left tackle because he's a younger guy. You can still kind of manipulate him and kind of work with him and kind of develop him. So it's better to do it younger into a player's uh, development and younger into a player's NFL time instead of rather doing it to a veteran who's got his stuff down, his footwork down, his arms down. Instead of flipping him over, flip the younger guy over who isn't all the way there yet, you can kind of work with over the left tackle. Then you've got Grant Delpit. And the Browns needed help at safety for sure. So they went out and got the best safety in the draft, in my opinion. Grant Delpit, he kind of fell off, not maybe not fell off, but he definitely was not as popular as he was heading into the draft as he was at the beginning of the season because of his tackling problems. You can look through basically the entire, pretty much entire season, and you can see Grant Delpit problem Grant Delpit, excuse me, Grant Delpit tackling problems everywhere. He misses tackles constantly, just takes sometimes, not doesn't take bad angles, but just whiffs on tackles, and it got ugly at times. It's a real problem for Grant. But I'm willing to take that and be okay with that problem because he's such a good guy in coverage. He is an elite, elite, elite level coverage player. He has an incredible range, incredibly versatile, can do man coverage, can do zone coverage, you do all different types of coverage schemes, and he is a guy you want on the back end of your offense. Excuse me, back end of your offense, back end of your defense. You want him protecting your defense. You want him doing basically anything you want. He is an elite level coverage player, and that is way more important than his tackling ability. Way more, unless he, if he's a linebacker, sure. I guess you could say uh, if he's a linebacker and he's got tackling problems, you can say that's a major problem. We're not going to take the guy. But he's a safety, and this guy is bringing you high coverage ability elite coverage ability, elite range, elite man coverage skills, elite zone coverage skills, you want him on your defense. I don't care if he's got a tackling problem or not. You want a guy like that on your defense. Not only did the Browns stop there on defense, they got Jordan Elliott. Jordan Elliott, I believe, is probably the third best defensive tackle in the SEC behind Derek Brown and uh, Javon Kinlaw. And that's just, <laughs> those guys are the best in the NFL draft coming this year, but Jordan Elliott was a little overshadowed. He's a really, really, really good defensive tackle, and the Browns getting him was an absolute steal. He has great hands. He's got great movement. He's in a prototypical build with long arms, long body. I think if you give him a little bit of time to develop, he's going to be a guy who really impresses some people out here because of his... He's not all the way there yet from a technical standpoint, but he's just really skilled, and he's got all the stuff you want to develop in a defensive tackle. And I think if you give him a little bit of time, he could be one of the best defensive tackles in this draft class, if not the best one. Then you got guys like Jacob Phillips, who eh, not huge at him, but it's a solid pickup. Then Harrison Bryant, another tight end, who's a quality, quality tight end. And then Nick Harris, who's a great interior lineman for the Browns. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, he got late. I think the Browns, did a wonderful job of building around Baker and giving him weapons and giving him protection. Next two teams are who I 
really, 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 really like and how they built. And they're very, not very similar, but they do, they do a lot of similar things uh, with their situation. First up, we got Buffalo Bills. Heading into this, the Buffalo Bills, heading into the draft, Buffalo Bills did not have a lot of picks to work with because they traded with a first rounder for Stephon Diggs, which I am more than okay with. When you can get a guaranteed commodity in Stephon Diggs, who was a high-end receiver, was the best receiver in the Minnesota Vikings, and was arguably the best or second-best receiver in the NFC North behind Devontae Adams. And you can make an argument that Stephon Diggs is better than Devontae Adams. I wouldn't say he is, but there is an argument to be had, in my opinion at least. But you traded that pick away, I'm fine with that because you're getting a guaranteed guy in Stephon Diggs. And then they still killed the draft, which is such a good move by the Bills. You got A.J. Panessa, who is a quality, quality defensive end, who I think uh, their Bills are going to love, adding another defensive piece. And you got Zach Moss. Zach Moss is interesting because he's a running back, which I wouldn't take a running back that high personally, but I think he is one of the better running backs in the NFL draft. You got a DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I really like Zach Moss. He's one of my top three running backs heading into the draft. And getting him is a really good move. He's a guy who will make you miss. He's one of the best guys doing the draft this year. He's just gonna make you miss any way he can. And adding him, I think, is a really nice move for them. Then you got Jake Fromm, which kind of ties into my next point is the Bills are doing a wonderful job of finding out if Josh Allen is the guy or not. This past year, Josh Allen looked okay. The playoffs, he didn't look that good, but he looked okay. What the Bills are doing, which is, I think, in my opinion, is really smart, is they are giving him weapons. Two uh, past offseasons, not this, not this current past offseason, but the one before that, two offseasons ago, the Bills acquired Cole Beasley and John Brown. So they got... Uh, Josh Allen weapons, which is what you are supposed to do with a young QB, no matter who it is, no matter if he's Patrick Mahomes, no matter if he's some bench guy who you believe in, you go get your guy weapons, which is what the Bills did, which is very smart. But now the Bills went out again and they got Stephon Diggs. And what the Bills are going to find out, and what the NFL is going to find out, is this guy your guy? Is Josh Allen the man who's going to lead you in the playoffs and who will bring you multiple playoffs and you get in contention in the playoffs every year, or at least most every year. And even if you believe in Josh Allen or not, even if you're a believer in Josh Allen, if you don't, don't like Josh Allen, you think Josh Allen's a really good quarterback, if you don't think he's a good quarterback, you're going to find out this year because they got him weapons, they got him Stephon Diggs, they got him John Brown, they got him Cole Beasley. Now we're going to find out, is Josh Allen the guy? Can he lead you into the playoffs? Can he do it with what you gave him? with the improved offensive line. And if he can't, well, Bills can move on then. The Bills can go, okay, we know Josh Allen isn't it. We know Josh Allen won't be able to lead us in playoffs, so we can go ahead, go get ourselves a new guy, or we can find out, can Jake Fromm do this? Can Jake Fromm lead us in the playoffs? I'm not so sure on that one, but can he do it? Can we go find somebody else? And if he is the guy, even better for the Bills, because that means you can keep on building around Josh Allen, keep getting weapons, Keep improving the defense, and you could possibly be a high-end playoff contender. Now, the next team is similar to the Buffalo Bills in their situation, and it's the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, I think, may have had my favorite draft 
in this entire draft. And favorite offseason, entire offseason, to be honest. You got guys like Jarrell Casey, who is getting older, a little bit older guy, but he's still one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL, in my opinion. And then you got guys like A.J. Bouye from the Jaguars they traded for. They traded a late pick for him, so it's even better. And he's still a quality cornerback, which is a thing the Broncos needed because they lost Chris Harris Jr., who is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL and has constantly been one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. So they need somebody to replace him. And they got A.J. Bouye, who is a quality corner. Not as good as Chris Harris Jr., but still good nonetheless. But where the Broncos absolutely killed this whole thing, in my opinion, and the whole offseason, in my opinion, was the draft. If you don't have the draft right now in front of you, or if you don't know who the Broncos took, just go pull it up, and you're going to go down this whole list and go, how'd they get him? How'd they get him? How'd they get him? How'd they get him? You got guys like Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Michael Mugier, excuse me, I'd probably butcher that name, but uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, McTelvin Aguim, Albert O, the tight end from Missouri. I'm not going to pronounce that one. <laughs> Justin Strand, Natani Muti, Tyree Cleveland, and Derek Kizuka. How does the NFL and the NFL teams around them, how does the ASC West, how does the ASC, how does the NFC, how does the NFL, how does anybody let the Broncos do this? They absolutely stole the draft. They committed a highway robbery and got some of the best players in the entire draft. The Broncos have Drew Locke. Similar situation to Buffalo, not as he doesn't have any money years as Josh Allen does in the NFL because he's not so much younger. He just got drafted this past year. But similar situation in the fact that they don't know is he if he's the guy or not. They don't know is Drew Locke the guy or not because, one, they have, they've seen him play like five, six games in the NFL and he's injured a little bit to start the season. And two, they just don't know if he's the guy or not. But they're, what they're going to find out soon is, is this guy the real deal because they got him some weapons. The Broncos already had Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton is a guy who does not get enough respect in the NFL. He had an absolute breakout year last year with the Broncos. He absolutely killed it. He was a main guy who Drew Locke went to. He had the incredible diving catch in the back of the end zone. and That was like probably one of the catches of the week, if not the year. He was laid out for that thing. And he was just an incredible receiver. But what the Broncos didn't have was another guy. Because they traded away Emmanuel Sanders to the 49ers because he wasn't going to stay. You could tell he wasn't going to stay and the Broncos wanted to get some picks for him because they were losing. So they went right as well, which is smart. That's what you do when you're losing games. And a veteran receiver who is going to leave you wants to <laughs> leave after the year. Trade him away. Which is smart. But what the Broncos did with this draft to give Drew Locke offense is so, so good. Jerry Judy was my top receiver in the NFL draft. Number one. Not by far, because the two guys behind him are really good in C.D. Lamb and in Henry Ruggs. But he was the best receiver in the NFL draft. I talked about it earlier relating to uh, Tyler Johnson. The most important trait about a receiver for me, the most important skill that a receiver can have, in my opinion, when I'm evaluating, when I'm looking at receivers, when I'm just scouting receivers to college, is can you separate? Can you separate at a high level, whether it be 
uh, route running, uh, just pure skill, pure speed, can you get open? That is what I am looking for in a receiver. And Jerry Judy is one of the best to do that in, the, in a decade. He is an elite level route runner. All elite. He runs routes like a veteran receiver does. I've never seen anything like this from a guy his age. And if he develops more from this, I don't know what you do to cover a guy like this. If he gets more athletic, because he's still a relatively young guy, like 21, 22 years old, so if he can get more athletic from here on, I don't know how you're going to cover this guy. Because he's, if he's be more athletic, if he can get more athletic from here on, if he can get faster, if he can get quicker, if he can get bigger, if he can get stronger, if he can jump higher, I don't know how you're going to cover him athletically-wise. Are you going to put somebody on him who's a freak athlete but not great in coverage skills? Then they're going to get burned because he's the best route runner in the entire draft and the best route runner for the past 10 years probably. He's got an incredible move. He's got an incredible dead leg. He can break in and out of his routes. Incredibly smooth. Incredibly explosive. He can great at hitches. He's got great body control. You can't put a guy on him who is just a freak athlete because they're going to get destroyed by his uh, by his uh, movement skills. Then you can't put a guy on him who's just a slower, non-athletic guy, but is great in coverage, he's got great hands, great movement, because then he's going to get run by him. If he develops into what he can be, he is going to be one of the hardest receivers in the NFL to stop. He's going to be on the level of these top guys in the NFL. He has potential to be top five. He is just so good. Just such a good player. I really love Jerry Judy. Then you got KJ Hamler, who is going to torch guys from the slot. Absolutely going to torch them. He is explosive as all can be. He's got movement skills as all can be. When you put him in the slot, have Jerry Judy outside, who can win outside. He's kind of thin. He's got good release skills. Really good release skills. But Jerry Judy on the outside. Cortland on the outside again. So you have those three guys on your team. Adding them field the same exact time, how are you going to cover those guys? All three of them. You, you can cover two of them maybe with their double coverage and different kind of schemes and different kind of zone coverage responsibilities, but how are you going to cover all three of them? It is going to be so hard, especially if you get creative with them. You get KJ Hamlin moving. You put Jerry Judy in the slot and use him in motion. How are you going to cover all three of these guys? They are all so good. But it literally does not stop there. You still have more guys who they drafted who could be really good. You get McTelvin and Geem, who's got really good potential. Then you get Albert O. Albert O was really popular heading into the draft because he's a freak of nature tight end who can gallop like he's a gazelle. He kind of fell off this past year and kind of slowed down. But he's still a freak of nature athletically. He can basically be a track meet. He's a big dude, too. Then you get Natani Muti, who I absolutely loved with this pick. Natani Muti is, to put it simply, a human bulldozer. You can't stop the guy. If he's coming at you, good luck getting out of the way. And if you don't get out of the way, you're going to die. He will knock you onto your gluteus maximus and run you over. You, you cannot stop the man. He is fast. He is big. He is strong. And he will destroy you. He will hurt you. But his problem is multiple, multiple injuries. He had a Liz Frank injury, which is... Uh, foot injury, if you don't know. And I believe he had an Achilles injury. I may be wrong on that one, but I'm pretty sure it was an Achilles injury. I know it was two lower leg foot injuries, ankle injuries. And with offensive linemen, that's not something you want because 
their offensive linemen. I mean, their main power comes from their legs, their thighs, their quads. You want guys who are big, sturdy guys who aren't injury-prone. Injuries come with offensive linemen. That's all it is. But having a guy who's coming out and is already injury-prone out of college, not the best thing in the world. You, you, don't, you don't want that. But taking him in the sixth round, I believe it was, sixth, seventh round, late rounds, I know, is what you do with those guys. I would take him earlier, take him in the third round, fourth round, because I believe in his talent that much. But getting him in the sixth, seventh round, I believe it was, the Broncos, is an absolute steal. That is how you build teams. That is how you steal talent. That's how you, you get those little extra things over teams. Those guys who just kind of fall through the cracks and you can snag them. And say Mochi doesn't turn out. Say he just kind of turns into an injury broke kind of guy who rides the bench because he can't get healthy and he just he doesn't do anything. He just sputters out. Fine. You hit, you took a sixth rounder on him. You weren't going to get a lot of guys on the sixth round who were that good anyways. But say Natani Mochi turns out. Say his health isn't that huge of a concern. Say his leg isn't that huge of a problem. It's going to be a problem no matter what, most likely. He's going to come back and hurt in the future. But say it's not a massive problem. Say it's only a small problem. Say he misses like four or five games a season. Say he makes, he plays ten games a season. You got an absolute steal in the sixth round. You got a high quality guard who's going to start for you ten games a season. And who's going to kill a man every single game because he's a physical freak of nature. That is how you build a team. You take those flyers in the late rounds. And you hope they turn out. But if they don't turn out, you at least threw a late rounder at them. But if they do turn out, you just got one of the speakers in the draft. And you're going to be getting the, there's be articles about him saying, how did Natani Mochi fall to the sixth round by the Denver Broncos? How did this happen? And then you got a guy like that. Denver Broncos, that is how you build a team. That is how you build a team. You acquired a lot of draft picks, first of all. You've got guys on cheap, de- um, uh, low draft picks in, in a trade from Jarrell Casey and A.J. Bouye. And then you take high receivers in the first round. Take a cornerback, two, three, two valuable positions in the NFL. Corner and receiver, two very valuable positions. And then late round, you take flyer on a guy like Natani Muti. That is how you build. I loved, loved, loved the draft for Denver Broncos. If you were going to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West, which you're need to do since you're in the AFC West with them, that is how you do it. You get Drew Locke weapons. You find out, is he your guy? Can he lead you to the playoffs? And if he is your guy... Perfect. Go build that defense more. Go build that offense more. Help out Drew Locke more. If he's not your guy, you still got the draft to go get a new guy. Because when you do find that new guy, you're going to get give him guys like Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, who are all currently young. And they're going to get a year to develop, excuse to develop. And imagine an extra year developed Cortland Sutton. Extra two year developed Cortland Sutton. Imagine an extra year or two developed Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. That is going to be a hard team to stop. And that is why you do things like this. This is why you take guys like J.J. K.J. Hamlin and receivers early on. So you help the most important part of the game. Passing. That is how you do it. I mean, congratulations, Denver Broncos. You absolutely killed it. The one who I didn't like all season, all offseason for them, was the Melvin Gordon signing. I mean, he's a running back. I wouldn't have signed him for that much. I don't... I, I don't like it a lot. I'll be honest with you. I don't like it at all. But when you go and draft Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Natani Mochi, Albert O, McTelvin Aguin, and then go trade for Jarrell Casey and AJ Bouye, I can kind of forgive you. I can kind of forgive you for doing drafting, assigning running back for that much by just doing something incredible as that. 
now we got the positivity out of the way, we got to talk about something negative. Ah, oh, man. These teams who I'm looking at right now, I got a whole spreadsheet, a whole spreadsheet, a whole document laid out of teams who did it wrong and did it right. And two teams I got right now are very similar in what they did, and both just, I, I don't know how to, I don't get it what they did. First up is the LA Rams, formerly the St. Louis Rams. The LA Rams were a very fun team to watch for a lot of people because they dominated the run game, which I'll be honest, I'm not pro run game whatsoever. But watching a dominant running game is fun to watch because their guys are just flying through the middle, crazy blocks. It's fun to watch. And they dominated the play action. They dominated receiving wise with Marshawn Faye, but now they kind of sputtered down. Now the magic is gone, the veil is gone, and the Rams aren't that special team anymore. They've really slowed down, and they tried to, to mitigate this by trading for players with high-end draft picks. And now the Rams are in a situation where they need to rebuild because they don't have a lot, and they just got a few star players here and there, but they don't have anything to rebuild with because they traded everything away. This is the 2021 draft. The Jaguars have their uh, Rams first round pick. The Rams have the second round pick, their third round pick, their sixth, and their seventh, I believe. And they don't have their fourth, don't have their fifth, don't have their first. They have four picks. Excuse me. Yeah, four picks. 2021. I could be wrong on that. I mentioned me wrong, but four picks in 2021. How do you build a team playing four picks, not even a first round pick? That is just trouble to start with. You're putting yourself behind the eight ball. Every team starts with seven, you're only down to four. You're out three of those picks, and you're out your highest pick. That's not how you build a team. You can't just get rid of multiple first-round picks for one player, which is what the Rams did when they traded for Jaguars, former Jaguars, cornerback Jalen Ramsey. And the Jaguars, what they did that was incredible. They did something really smart, which is they took basically every guy in their draft was an athletic guy who they think they can develop, and they used one of those, those Rams picks on those guys. It was either Chason or C.J. Henderson that used it on. But it helped out the Jaguars a lot. But now the Rams have nothing to work with. If the Rams had one of their first-round picks, first-round pick in general that's coming this past year, because they didn't have one either, they could have taken an offensive tackle. They could have taken somebody who can protect Jerry Goff, who can develop behind uh, Whitworth. They could have taken somebody to just... Somebody better on that tarot of the line. Instead, this past they took Cam Akers, Van Jefferson, Terrell Lewis, Terrell Burgess, Bryson Hopkins, Jordan Fuller, Sam Sloman, and Tremaine Ankum. Now, I don't hate this draft. I don't hate it. I don't think I'm the biggest fan of it either, but I don't hate it. I really don't like the Cam Akers pick in the second round. Did they not learn anything from Todd Gurley? Did nobody learn anything from Todd Gurley? You don't need to take a running back early on. Todd Gurley dominated the running game because of his elite level offensive line and the elite level blocking schemes that Sean McVay had. He didn't dominate because he was Todd Gurley. That helped him. That certainly helped him because he's an explosive guy, great vision, and that helped him in the second level. But what helped him way more was that elite level offensive line, and it showed up last year. They did not have that elite level offensive line, and Todd Gurley was... Certainly not as good. Certainly not as good as it could have been. 
because he didn't have the offensive line. So what do the Rams do? Instead of building the offensive lineup, instead of grabbing a guard, grabbing a tackle, grabbing somebody to help block, they grab another running back. That running back, Cam Akers, I like him. He's a good player. But he's not going to succeed in the NFL behind a crappy offensive line. This is why you do not draft running backs in the early on. Because you don't need them. You don't need them. You don't need to draft Cam Akers early on. You can find a guy who can come in and play for you in the behind a great offensive line. It's been done a million times. The Niners did it to beat the Packers. You don't need that offensive line. I mean, you do need that offensive line. Excuse me. You don't need that high-end running back. Another thing the Rams did was take Van Jefferson. I like Van Jefferson. Quad receiver. This draft, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Bryson Hopkins, Terrell Burgess, Terrell Lewis, all quality picks. But if the Rams didn't get rid of their multiple picks, had one of their first rounders, their draft could look a lot different. And this team could look a lot different. And this is why you don't trade away your multiple first rounders for one player like that. It's going to hurt you in the long run. You just don't... I really don't get that move by the St. Louis Rams. Excuse me, St. Louis Rams. LA Rams. Next up is a team very... Very, very, very similar to the Houston Texans. <laughs> Houston Texans. The Houston, Houston Texans. Very similar to the LA Rams, the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are like the LA Rams on steroids in the fact that they love trading away players for nothing. Or not for nothing, just making terrible trades. They made multiple terrible trades <laughs> in two years. By terrible, I mean downright awful in the, the Laramie Tunzel trade and the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Laramie Tunzel, I, I like he's a quality left tackle, quality player. If they just paid him a boatload of money, I wouldn't pay him that much, but he's a quality le- quality player nonetheless. problem with it is they traded away the entire farm to get him. They traded multiple first-rounders, a couple mid-rounders, just to get one player. And now they came back to bite him a little bit. It came back to bite him initially. He's going to come back to bite him again because they traded away multiple picks. Multiple first-rounders, I believe it was. They didn't have a first-rounder to go draft another receiver, go draft a D-back, go draft another offensive tackle because its offensive line is still not great. It's better, certainly better, but still not great. So instead of being able to go get another defensive back, which the Texans desperately needed, they didn't get one. Well, they weren't able to get one. So they got Ross Blackhawk in the second round who needs development, athletic freak of nature, but at TCU, they never taught him how to do anything. They told him, hey, Ross, you're freaky athletic. Go do that. Which, fine, more kudos to him. He was able to do that because he is physical freak of nature, but they could have got somebody better in the first round. They could have took a D-back in the first round and still could have been able to take Ross Blackhawk in the second round. But instead, he traded away that Larry Tunzel, traded for Larry Tunzel, and traded away multiple first-round picks and multiple draft picks just to get one guy. Then there's a DeAndre Hopkins trade. I, 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 I really don't get this trade for the Texans. They, if they're going to trade away DeAndre Hopkins, and they were dead set on it, they were like, they weren't going to budge. They're like, we're going to trade him away, no matter what. They're like, fine. But get yourself a first-round pick, at least. You don't have one, so why not get a first-rounder and some extra other picks to add on to there? Instead, they got a second-rounder. You could have had a first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. You could have had a first-rounder for him. He is one of the most dominant receivers in the NFL. 
In the past couple of years, he was the best receiver in the NFL. But instead, what you did was you got a second-round pick for him. A second-rounder for DeAndre Hopkins. Any trade involving DeAndre Hopkins, there better be a first-round pick moving in one direction or the other. And by the one direction, I mean they should be moving from the team DeAndre Hopkins going to, to the Texans. There should be a first-round pick no matter what. You should have gotten a first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. He is that quality-level player. But instead, you let the San Louis Cardinals, excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals get, get him for highway robbery. Now you give the Cardinals a high-quality receiver with their young QB, which is what the Texans should have had, but instead they traded him away. And you probably upset uh, the Texans' young QB, Deshaun Watson. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. If you're building your team, you want to keep your good players around, especially for a young QB like Deshaun, a guy who works really well Deshaun, a guy who is a great round runner and great physically and is the best, one of the best receivers in the entire NFL. You want to keep him around for Deshaun. You don't trade him away. And if you're going to trade him away, you better get a boatload for him. But you didn't. That's not how you build around him. And the draft was even bad for Texans as well. It wasn't that good. Ross Blackhawk, athletic freak of nature, I'm not huge on him. I think where they got him is fine, but you should that I would have had him take a defensive back. And they got Jonathan Greenard, one pick him that early, then Charlie Heck. Charlie Heck, I believe, is off the tackle. You could got him later on. And if you really needed an offensive tackle, or I want one earlier, you could have took one in the first round. Or say you're dead set on Ross Blacklock. You take Ross Blacklock in the first round. You could have got a second round uh, offensive tackle. You could have got like a guy like uh, Ben Barch, maybe. You could have got uh, Prince Tagawanogo. You could have got somebody who's a good player, Matt Pert, who couldn't develop. But instead, you get, you get Charlie Heck. The two picks I actually did like from the Texans were their later, later picks. Isaiah Coulter is a quality receiver, and John Reid is a quality cornerback, also. He's a kind of do it all kind of guy. No real weakness, no real great strength. He's a mid. Uh, pick, and you got him in a nice value. But the draft was not good for them whatsoever. I, I really, I don't know what to say. Second to last, we're talking about the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is similar to the Texans as they don't like giving their star QB weapons. They just don't like giving weapons, apparently. They like to run the ball, like to play defense, and that's it. That's, that's it. Russell Wilson is the second best receiver <laughs> receiver, second best QB in the entire NFL. So what you should do with guys like Russell Wilson is give them weapons, get them tight ends, get them extra receivers, get them better offensive linemen, build around Russell Wilson, which is what you should do. The Seahawks instead went and got a linebacker in the first round. Not not an Isaiah Simmons linebacker, not a elite coverage linebacker, not a Patrick Queen linebacker. They got Jordan Brooks, who was an old school, downhill, run stopping, tackling linebacker. He's going to get killed in the NFC West. You got guys like the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury, who just added DeAndre Hopkins, like I just said, and they're gonna just destroy him over the middle of the field. Who is he gonna cover when uh, the Arizona Cardinals are running four wideouts? Who's he gonna cover? Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald's gonna burn him. 
DeAndre Hopkins gonna—he's not gonna cover Deion. I don't. DeAndre Hopkins, I know that for sure. Andy Bell in the slot's gonna murder him. Christian Kirk in the slot's gonna murder him. It's gonna be ugly out there for him. And then you got the San Francisco 49ers. You've got guys like you know Brandon Ayuk. They just had Emmanuel Sanders, so they don't have anymore. But they have an elite level receiving core, a high level receiving core, and they got Kyle Shanahan, one of the best young coaches and coaches pretty much in the league right now. Plus, if he's in card tight ends. He, there is no way on earth he is going to be able to cover George Kittle. He's going to be destroyed. George Kittle is going to put up 150 yards on him. It's going to get brutal for him out there. They drafted Daryl Taylor, the Seahawks did, which I think it's a nice pick. I like Daryl Taylor. He's got a good bull rush move. Damian Lewis is like, okay. Colby Parkinson, solid. DJ Lewis, nah, not too high on him. Alton Robinson, not high on him either. And they finally drafted a receiver in their last two picks with Freddie Swain, Stephen Sullivan. Why didn't you take one earlier? You had a ton of opportunities to take a receiver. A ton. This was the best receiving class in the NFL for decades. I've heard ever. One of the best. One of the best ever. And you didn't take one until your last two picks. Seahawks. You should build around your star QB. You have Russell Wilson. He's not going to be there forever. He's not going to be there <laughs> for, the, for the long haul. He's there for the long haul right now, but he's not going to be there for years and years and years. He's a scrambler. So he put, might get hurt too. So why don't you give him weapons to work with instead of building the defense and building your line and building your run-stopping aspect and your run running attack aspect? Give Russell Wilson weapons. The last team is the Green Bay Packers. I really don't know what to say about this Packers team, what they're doing right now, or what's going on. I I wrote an article about this the other day, which I'll talk on in a second, but the Packers draft was Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Josiah Duguera, Kamal Martin. They took a couple of, a couple of offensive linemen in there, like John Runyon, uh, Jake Hansen, and they kept it off with a safety and defensive end. This is clearly a shift in offense to me. It's clearly going to be heavy play action and heavy zone usage. John Runyon and Jake Hansen are likely going to be your guys who are versatile and able to move out of the zone for running a scheme. Which, fine, I wouldn't do that, but you, I wouldn't do that whatsoever because that's not how you win games in the NFL. You win games in the NFL by having a dominant passing attack, which the Packers have for multiple years with Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And you win by Having down defensive backs. But your main way you win is offense. Offense, 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 and passing. Passing over running a billion percent of the time. Passing over running. What the Packers did was go heavy running. You had A.G. Dillon in the second and Josiah Garrett in the third. And then three offensive linemen late in the late in the draft as well. John Ronnie and Jay Canson in the offensive tackle. It's a clear shift for the new scheme in Green Bay. It's going to be zone running. But the problem with it is, 
you don't do that. The Packers had an opportunity to take a receiver early on. Multiple opportunities. They just take possibility and opportunity to take a receiver in the middle of the rounds. That didn't happen. They had an opportunity to take a receiver in the later rounds. Did not happen. This is the, one of the best receiving draft classes maybe ever or honestly maybe ever. It's the best one in decades. That's for dang sure. Probably the best one this century. Best one since 2000. None of them have topped this one. The Packers needed a receiver, and they did not take one. Multiple opportunities, and they didn't take a single guy. They didn't help out Aaron Rodgers whatsoever. Aaron Rodgers had Devontae Adams. Great. But he needs somebody else. Alan Lazard. Somebody's going to develop. It's going to be Alan Lazard, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemia Brown, Jay Kurmo. Somebody needs to develop. But all of them have shown serious flaws in their game. And none of them can separate with the lick without being schemed up. None of them. Aside from Dante Adams, who clearly is one of the best route runners in the NFL, and is a high, 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 high ability route runner. Besides him, they got nobody. Who is he going to throw to? Who is Aaron Rodgers going to throw to on this NFL, on this roster, on this NFL roster? Who is he going to throw to? They had multiple opportunities to get a receiver. I would have been fine if they got a receiver this year and it didn't pan out. Fine. At least you took a shot on a guy. I used to take a shot on a guy who can develop and be a quality receiver and quality and affect the passing game. Fine. But when you don't even take a shot on a guy, when you don't even attempt to get somebody who can affect the passing game, and you just ignore it, pretty much, that's where we're running into problems. That's where we're into problems. You're supposed to help Aaron Rodgers. And if you want Jordan Love to be your future, help Jordan Love. Get him receivers as well. I'm not even a huge on Jordan Love whatsoever. I don't get that pick either. Talk about that quick. What are the Packers doing with Jordan Love? It's either going to be... You, why would you take him this year? When you benefit from having that rookie contract that Jordan Love would have. Because if you're going to trade Aaron Rodgers away, you're going to take a huge hit in free agency that year because you're taking on a huge cap hit. And Aaron Rodgers' contract ends when Jordan Love contract uh, Packers have to say if they want to accept the next uh, team option deal or not, the extra year or not. So you're not even going to get the benefit of having that rookie contract, which is huge because you can give them weapons. A lot of weapons, too. So you're not even get that benefit. And the fact that Jordan Love isn't even that good a quarterback. There's plenty of guys who are better. Anthony Gordon. Uh, I'm not going to say Tour or Joe Burrow because they're clearly better. But there's so many guys who are better than him. And he took Jordan Love. The one thing Jordan Love has for him, cannon for an arm. Absolute cannon and very athletic. But he doesn't use it right. He doesn't have that accuracy yet. He doesn't have the touch on the ball. He doesn't really, really good at reading defenses whatsoever. There's multiple plays where he'll, there's a guy wide open, but he'll just fire it to the wrong guy or he'll fire it into the defensive back's chest. That's not what you want in a guy, in a quarterback who's going to lead you into the future. That's not what you, how you build a, uh, an offense. That's not what you do. The most important part of a quarterback, to me at least, is accuracy. Can you deliver the ball on target, on time? It's timing accuracy. Can you do that? You can, you have some to work with. You can see Cardamenchu. Not really a big camper in R at all. He's usable. He can get the ball on the field if he needs to. Not big. But where he succeeds is timing and accuracy. That's why Gardner Mitchell probably will survive in this league. That's why he'll have a role 
and either a backup or a, qual or a decent quarterback. Jordan Love, on the other hand, is either going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, which I think is a possibility because of his arm talent and his cannon for an arm, or he's just going to be an absolute bust because he's not good at throwing the football currently. He's not good at reading defense currently. you got to have... You have to be able to read a defense, and you have to be able to throw accurately, at least. You have to be able to do one of those things. If you're an intelligent guy, fine, you can work with you. If you have accuracy, you can work with you. But if you have, you can't do those, you're going to get killed in the NFL. Even your big cannon guys in the NFL who are able to make it, they have accuracy, or they're able to read defenses at a high level. But it's very, 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 very hard to be a guy who's exclusively a cannon for an arm kind of guy, Without your accuracy and without your reading defense ability. I really don't get the pick on Packers here. We don't have the Packers scheme before we head out of here. I recently wrote an article for Fansided, uh, NFL Spin, I'm a writer over there if you don't know. I wrote an article diving into Matt LaFleur's possible new offense. I said possible because I'm not sure if it's going to be that yet because I'm honestly not Matt LaFleur. I'm not the OC in Green Bay. When I am coaching staff in Green Bay, I am a fly on the wall in Green Bay. But just off, based off my own judgment, and what I think is coming, I think there's a new offense coming in Green Bay. I think it's going to be very similar to Kyle Shanahan and uh, the LA Rams head coach. I can't think of his name. It's blanked out right now. Sean McVay, excuse me. I think it's going to be very similar to those two in the fact that it's going to be heavy zone running scheme with occasional gap play and heavy play action. My problem with that, and this goes for them too, is you don't need a heavy running scheme and a heavy running ability to have a good play action game. What those two do is they use a lot of play action and a lot of motion, as Shanahan does. He uses a lot of motion anyways. Both of them use heavy play action. But they use their running game to kind of affect play action almost. To try to set up play action, if you will. But the problem with that is you don't need to do that. Play action on its own is an incredible play that works a lot and does well a lot. But what those two do is they think they need to set it up somehow. They need to set it up with a good running game. They need to set it up with a lot of running attacks, with high, with a good running back. When you don't, there's plenty of data out there and plenty of data by multiple data analysis that shows there's no correlation between the two. I touched on it in my article. I touched on it in a Reddit post I put out there, which I've made a graph. Uh, but don't take my perspective for it. Take Ben Baldwin, who I... He's in the biggest Packers fan in the world. If you've looked at his tweets, not here to Aaron Rodgers. Fine, I mean, I'm not completely agree with him on there. But he has an excellent point in his article he wrote when it comes to play action and running. He put an article on Football Outsiders showing that there is no correlation. You can have a great running game and there's no correlation. You can have a terrible running game, no correlation. You can have a lot of running attempts, no correlation. You don't need to run the ball a lot. But take, without even going and read his article, which you should have to take a read it, let's look at Lamar Jackson in the Ravens offense. They are middle of the pack kind of team when it comes to yards from play action. But Lamar Jackson has the third most play action passing attempts in the NFL. Third most. Yet, he didn't even crack a thousand play action yards. That's not because he's a bad 
uh, runner because he's clearly the best running runner in the NFL, and he clearly is. The Ravens clearly have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. He's more the fact that the Ravens try to design a lot of uh, play action schemes well, and Lamar Jackson struggled throwing the ball. That's who he is. That's what affects play action. What affects play action is the QB's quality of play, the receivers, the tight ends, the guys involved in the play, in the passing play. It's not the running backs and how good the running back can do. It's not him. It's the players themselves and the schemes itself related to the play action. It's not the running game. But what a lot of people think is, I need a good running attack. I need to be able to dominate the ball. I need to be able to hit guys and develop a, a establish a run. I need to do that, and then I can work the play action off of it. Then I can do a little boot action and get 12 yards out of it. You don't need to do that, though. You can just throw play action, which I think is incredibly smart. That's what you should do. Just use play action. This Packers team is... I don't know what they're going to do. And then i talk the picks quick before we get out of here. Josiah Duguera and E.J. Dillon are fine players if you draft them late. Then I got no complaints. And I had some complaints because I was running back late and I was basically an H-back late, but and my complaints are are much smaller than what they would be if they're second and third round picks. But they are second and third round picks. You drafted an H-back in the third round who they're going to use like Kyle Juszczyk. Excuse <clears throat> me, Kyle Juszczyk. And you got A.J. Dillon. So what do Gara first? I recently saw a tweet by Zach Cruz when this all came out, when the Packers draft came out and everything. And he tweeted, The Packers plan on using Josiah Duguera, I'm probably butchering the name, Josiah Duguera in a H-back kind of fullback role and similar, very similar to Kajuszczyk. I'm paraphrasing on that, but let's say Josiah Duguera turns into Kajuszczyk. Say he turns into Kajuszczyk, a hybrid fullback, H-back, able to do something after the catch and do something in the passing game. Say he's able to do that. Is it really worth a third-round pick when he could have had receivers or a cornerback or somebody who's a more valuable position? Is it really worth it? And saying he's going to turn into that is one thing. If he's going to turn that in turn, if he's going to turn into that into Kyle Juszczyk, is a completely another thing. Him turning into Kyle Juszczyk is an absolute Best situation that can happen to the Packers here. But will it happen? Likely not. The Josiah Doguera is still a young tight end who needs a lot of development and who's not all that great yet. He still needs a lot of time to work. And there's a good shot he won't turn into Kajuszczyk. Kajuszczyk is one of the best fullbacks in the NFL. He's going to be the only decent value back in the NFL because he's an attack in the passing game. So to say he's going to turn to that and they're going to use him like that is a bit of a stretch. A bit of a stretch. And then you got A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon is, if you don't know who he is, he's a giant, hulking, throwback running back who's going to throw you aside. He's going to lower his shoulder into you. He's going to run through you. Makes for a good highlight reel. Doesn't make for a good running back. Because what he he can do that very well. He can run through very well, but he can't catch a ball worth a lick. He somewhat struggles turning up field when he catches the ball. He can't run really any routes that I've seen at Boston College, which is 
one of the more important things if you're going to be a running back. You're automatically a very, very, very low-value position in the NFL by just being a running back alone. So if you want to negate that and bring more value to your team, be able to run routes. Be able to do something in the passing attack. E.G. Dillon can't do that. He's going to run between the tackles. He's going to run outside the tackles. He's going to hit you hard. He's going to lower his shoulder in you. He's going to throw you aside and then get like six yards. On a good day. On a good play. On a passing attack, you better... If you want to use A.G. Dillon in your passing attack, in your passing game, fine. But you're going to need to scheme him up something. Because he's not going to be able to do something on his own. He's not going to be able to run a quality route. He's not going to run like a Texas route or a wheel route. He's just going to run to the flat. You need to design something for A.J. Dillon, or else you're going to be screwed. You can't have him running these routes. This Packers draft is, is easily the worst. Easily. The only decent pick I, I liked out of this was Kamal Martin. It's okay. He got some potential, but besides him, they didn't do anything. And they downgraded their offensive line. They lost Brian Balaga, and they played him with Rick Wagner. Rick Wagner is a solid player, but he's not Brian Balaga. He's certainly not Brian Blaga. Rick Wagner will be a quality player for the time being, but he won't be that Brian Blaga player. This Packers team is going to be interesting to watch for multiple, multiple reasons, but it's I really don't like how they built this team. It's going to be a hard time to come back and turn around this team. Thank you for listening to the Air L podcast, though, guys. I appreciate you guys coming on here and listening to me ramble into the nothingness, ramble into the space with this whole coronavirus going on. So I hope everybody is well. Go follow me at LucasShoe2. Follow the podcast account at air.pod. Both of those on Twitter. Uh, if you want to come on the podcast as a guest, feel free to DM me at LucasShoe2. Two as in the number two, not the word T-W-O. Or DM the podcast account itself. All DMs are open on both of those if you want to hop on the podcast. Feel free to message me. Thank you for listening, guys. See you later.